All right, all right. So, Rooney, you jumping up and down, huh? Should have seen me behind the screen over here, huh? That was something. Oh, Lord, how great are your works, huh? Amen. Well, welcome, Church at the Red Door. Glad you're here this morning. Has everybody uh, got a big smile this morning? Yes. All right, there's some down here. That's good. All right. Well, it's always a privilege and honor to have you join us here this morning. So I want to welcome you to Church at the Red Door on Sunday morning and welcome you online for joining us here this morning. We love having you online. We'd even love to have you be here. So if you're in the area, come next Sunday for Easter service and join us right here in this auditorium. We'd love to have you. So welcome, welcome. Psalm 117 this morning. Praise the Lord, all nations. Laud him, all peoples. Why, goes on, for his loving kindness is great towards us, and the truthfulness of the Lord is everlasting. Huh? Praise the Lord. How about that? No greater God than that who loves us, and he's faithful, and all his promises are true, and amen, right? Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we had a great time last weekend in the park, Sunday in the park. I don't know if you were able to be with us or not, but a few, there you go, just a few examples of the in and out truck and people sitting around and uh, even Pastor Jeff back there giving us God's word. So it was great. So if you weren't there, we missed you. And for those that you could make it, I hope you enjoyed not only the word, but your in and out hamburger, huh? <laughs> yeah, it was pretty cool. Pretty cool. Love that. Well, listen, I also want to remind you about Good Friday, which is this coming Friday. <laughs> just, just make sure everybody understands that. Uh, so this coming Friday, Good Friday service, we're going to have it here. It's actually going to be over in uh, double classrooms uh, from 3 to 4 p.m. And it's actually going to be a bit of an enactment. So we actually have some actors and actresses that will be there, and uh, I think you'll want to come see this. Uh, not only is it going to be just special to see our own people portraying this Good Friday out, but to hear the message of Good Friday as well. So, And for those of you that are part of the actors and part of the team that's going to be performing on Friday night, right after service, I know Pastor Paul has a rehearsal thing, so don't leave. Don't leave. You have to go through your parts if you would, please. <clears throat> Communion today, I uh, hope you all got your elements when you came in online. If you uh, would love to have you join us for communion today, so this might be a good time to get your elements as well. You know, last, uh, last week, just a quick note here, last week we went to visit the grandkids, and our youngest grandson had this new drone, okay? And I walked in the house, and the first thing he says, Papa, Papa, help me with the drone. It won't work. I'm going... Okay, so I went over, took a look at it, and I said, well, did you put batteries in? Oh, yeah, I put batteries in, Papa. Did you read the manual? Uh, no, Papa, I, did, I didn't read the manual. So well, let's, let's get the manual out and take a quick look at it. So we got the manual out, and there are two things you have to do if you want the thing to fly. First thing you have to do is there's a controller in the drone, and you have to hold this button down until it beeps, and that syncs the controller to the drone. Second thing you have to do is press another button, hold it down, and that calibrates the GPS. And that's probably an important thing to calibrate the GPS, okay, and the drone. So we did that, and push a button, <laughs> up it goes. 
So he was happy. So the point of the story, friends, this right here is the word of God. We need to be synced to this. We need to be synced to, the, to our Heavenly Father, to Jesus. And then we need to calibrate ourselves with this word. I just want to encourage you to get calibrated, to get synchronized, to get calibrated, because that's the way in which we can live the abundant life that God promises us. And we're going to hear the living word today from Pastor Jeff. That's what he's going to do. He's going to come up here and he's going to bring us the living word out of Luke 18. The Pharisee and the Republican. No, the publican. <laughs> I just wanted to see if you're awake. Okay. <laughs> yes, you are. Okay. The Pharisee and the publican today. Um, people who trusted in themselves. Talk a little bit about humility, I know, in that message today. So, But first... Pastor Jeff's going to come up and introduce us to worship. Thank you. That was a fantastic drone sound you made. I don't know how you did that, but uh, good morning, Church of the Red Door. Are you ready for this? You ready for this? Well, we're going to worship a little bit. Why would we worship? Well, if we go back a little bit and we think about what today is and what it uh, not only was historically, but what it really represents for us. It's, if you don't know, and if you've been to Israel with me, and many of you have been, it's kind of coming down that windy little thing that goes by the Garden of Gethsemane as you overlook, and you see the Dome of the Rock and, and all that up in the, on Herod's platform up there. And uh, as you're going down, Jesus came down this on a, on a donkey, uh, and it was unbelievable fulfillment of Scripture. Zechariah had seen a king coming, but mounted on a donkey and not on a, on a white steed. Well, he'll come back in, in that kind of glorious manner, whether he literally will be on a white horse, I don't know, but he was literally on a, on a donkey, and he made his way down, and they began to throw palm fronds on the ground, that's why we call it Palm Sunday, and, and they were chanting, and I'm going to read it for you, Psalm 118, they were worshiping, they were worshiping the king, and this was going to be their savior, for that they had been long-awaited savior from the Romans, and, and, uh, and listen to what it says, which is powerful, it starts in verse 22 of Psalm 118, and interesting that these two things would be together because they weren't chanting this. They weren't chanting chapter, uh, verse 22, which said, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. They didn't even recognize that this crowd that was then chanting uh, verse 26, which is, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. So they were there, you know, throwing their palm fronds. They were... The king is coming. He's finally arrived. They had heard all the stories. I mean, he was, was amazing. This guy was uh, multiplying food. He was raising people from the dead. He was walking across the sea. He was doing he, unbelievable things. They believed he was the guy. He was the guy. Had they only backed up just a few verses, they would recognize that a fulfillment was going to happen just a few days later, a little less than a week. Those same fickle, that same fickle crowd was going to be chanting what? Crucify him crucify him they just didn't he didn't meet their expectations he was the cornerstone but they were going to stumble over the cornerstone so why do we worship well we're worshiping now because we understand that he was both the lamb of God and the king that will come back so we have a lot more information now and we can worship him in spirit and in truth let's worship
sit down, turn, and tell somebody what you think of their hairstyle today. No, do not. Do not. Whatever you do, do not tell anybody that.
see. You didn't pick out you didn't pick out anybody, did you? Because I was just I was just kidding. Let's pray. Lord Jesus. This is a, an incredible week for those who are followers of yours. It not only reminds us of the passion, your passion, your very purpose for coming, but Lord, it it really rivets us on the implications and the fallout from your death on the cross for multiplied hundreds of millions of people over the last 2,000 years. It's transformed lives. It allows us to say, is that last song so beautifully stated, it is well with my soul. Lord, we need help because this is a challenging parable as all your parables were. Give us insight. Give us a depth, even for those who have such a command of Scripture, and there are many here in this congregation at Church at the Red Door, but Lord, give us a depth of insight. Maybe take us to a little deeper place with an understanding of the gospel through this simple parable. But we'll need your help. We'll need your guidance. We'll need your insight. And I pray that for everybody within the sound of my voice, whether now or weeks later, somewhere on archived. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So as Randy so uh, artfully put it, the Pharisee and the Republican, it is the Republican, and all the Republican is, was, was a tax collector, so it's another tax collector that enters the scene. We need to set the stage because the tax collector, of course, was always the most nefarious, the most hated, the most, the lowest rung on any level in terms of the Jewish mind because he was the Benedict Arnold of the, well, of the Jews because he had turned tail and was now collecting taxes from his own people and unfair taxes uh, from his own people to turn over to the repressive government at that time, Rome, the Pax Romana. And so to say anything positive about well, a publican, or, as Jesus often did, a Samaritan, or, I mean, he always took the down and out and elevated them because it was, in some ways, it certainly conveyed a truth, but it was also hyperbolic language. It would grab their attention and offend so many people. And here again, we have a story, we have a parable, and as we make our way through the Gospel of Luke, that will, well, maybe not grab you as much in the 21st century, but the implications are profound. The implications are so profound. So Luke chapter 18, verse 9. Are you ready for this? Here we go. And he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves. So is this parable for everybody? Well, it's for everybody, but specifically, we talk about this all the time, it was written for everybody because this could help you articulate the gospel in a more accurate way if you already live in the reality of the gospel, but it especially will help those who were listening, who trusted themselves. The Bible was written for everybody, but the Bible was not written to everybody. This was written specifically to his, this message Jesus had to those who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous, and, and they viewed others with contempt. Now, you can trust if you understand the gospel that you're You've been made righteous through the covering of Jesus, but that leaves you no room to have contempt 
for others. It's one of the things that I think plagues uh, the evangelical right or whatever more than any other thing in our culture today is this contempt that rises in us towards other people groups who don't yet see the reality of who Jesus is, and it just shouldn't be the case. We never are in a place to have contempt for anyone because while Jesus, through this parable, is going to put everybody, everybody in their place, as they should be. It gives us, it gives us an understanding. Any, any attitude of contempt, now, I'm not talking about policies. I'm not talking about politics. I'm talking about the individual who may live in darkness and have a very different view, a wor- worldview from you. How, how in the world am I going to take the gospel and love to someone that I have contempt for? It always is paired, those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and had contempt for, well, pretty much everybody else. And here's the story he told or the parable. He said, two men went up into the temple. Now, that's important, just a note here. Into the temple was a lot because anybody would know that the temple was a representation of the very presence of God. So when you go there, and I've had, look, I've had this through the years. I've invited people to sunrise services or to an Easter service or to, you know, something, and they go, you don't want me to come in there because I'm telling you lightning would strike that place. You don't want to come anywhere. If I come, I mean, people have that in their mind, that that God somehow is just ready to, he's the almighty smiter, and he's going to smite them wherever they, if they were ever to show up in a place that's kind of representative of his presence, they're in big trouble. And you're going to see that from the publican, just in the way he acts. He did go to the temple, but, well, there were two that went up to the temple. Well, and they went to pray, and one was a Pharisee, and the other, well, was a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood and was praying this, now notice, praying this to whom? himself. I mean, he's having a nice conversation with himself. Pretty fascinating. He's saying God, but he's really saying this to embolden himself, to have him himself feel good about himself. That was a lot of himself, but that's, that's really what it was. He was praying this to himself. God, I thank you. Thank you so much, Lord. Oh, I thank you that I'm not like those other people. It is funny in this context, but it also strikes a chord in me. I know in my own walk, there have been moments where, oh, wow, I'm, I'm glad I'm not like those people. And contempt can rise in my heart because isn't it great that I'm not like those people? What people? People created Imago Dei, created in the image of God, people that have yet to fall in love with Jesus. I like, finally, I understood. I started calling people pre-believers. I don't care how far away they were, they're pre-believers. They, they could be. God, God's chosen. I mean, who is this? Who am I in any way to, in any way, bring an indictment or judgment against somebody who's living in something maybe that I lived, well, I, I was, I excelled at sinning. Where, how could contempt rise in my heart? But there, have, there are times in my past that it did, and I have to Take that, and I have to put it in light of the gospel and what we're going to see this morning, and then come to a stark realization that, okay, how can I love this person? How can, how can I be a light in the world? How can I, you know, I, I've used this example many times and maybe even here at Church of the Red Door, but I mean, like I said, if I go to the store, which I don't think I've ever been because my wife is so incredible about not making me go to the store, but 
Trader Joe's or Costco or whatever, you know, and I'm, I'm in there and somebody slams into the back of me and I turn around and, you know, why, do you realize that's my hamstring, you know, I, I need that to make birdies, you know, what, what's going on here? And I turn around, would I have a, would I have a different reaction if, if they had a little C9 stick and a dog with them and they had dark glasses on and they were making their way, would you have any different reaction to that? as opposed to someone who was talking on their cell phone and just ran smack into the back of you? Would there be any different emotional response? Of course there would be. If you have even one scintilla of, of empathy, you would see, you would say, well, oh, they, they can't see. And that's how people described, that's how Jesus described people who had yet not seen the light of the gospel. They are blind. They have eyes to see, but they cannot see. They have ears to hear, but they cannot hear. And then we always need to add this one thing. It's the very mission of the church, yet. Yet. But not this guy, not this, not this Pharisee. I'm glad I'm not like all those people, those swindlers, the unjust, those nasty adulterers, those people with sex, sexual addiction problems, all that. You just fill it in. He, he could have said it. Or even like this guy next to me. This is a tax collector. I, I'm, I thank you, Lord, speaking to himself. I thank you, Lord, patting himself on the back. I thank you, Lord, that I'm not like this crowd. I'm just so grateful that I'm not like that crowd. And verse 12, we begin to get a little picture now, a glimpse of the other guy. And at, No, excuse me, verse 12 says, I fast twice a week. Now he's beginning to say, and by the way, these are some things that I do in addition, if you want my resume, here are some other beautiful things that I do. I fast twice a week. I pay all the tithes uh, that I get, tithes on all that I get. And then verse 13, excuse me, I've been the tax collector, now notice, standing some distance away. Why do you think he was standing some distance away? Because he recognized he was in the presence, because he was in the temple, he was in the presence of something holy, something other than Lee. And he knew his life. And all these things did apply to him. And he was a mess. And so, well, rightfully so, he stood at a distance. Rightfully so. And he was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast. Imagine the picture. God, I'm, I'm telling you right now, if you're watching this, Entry into the kingdom is as simple and complex, but as simple as this line right here. God, meaning there is one, be merciful to me, the sinner. That's it. And then Jesus says, it's, this is unbelievable because, you know, he didn't go to he didn't go to seminary. He didn't do nothing. It's like the thief on the cross thing, you know? I mean, come on. This guy's been a mess all of his life. He's, a, he's being, he even said, he says, I, we deserve what we're getting. And so is this guy. And Jesus then says, I tell you, this man went to his house justified. Now, we're going to have to dig into what that word means because that is a profound word. He went justified rather, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself. All that precious few who will humble themselves. One day, one day, they will be exalted. 
Now, if you don't get this parable so deeply entrenched, there's a, there's a number of things that will happen to you. You will always struggle with a judgmental spirit your entire life. It is not until you are so saturated with the gospel that you will ever get into a position that you will be free of judgmentalism. I'm telling you right now, it is hard. It is hard in the culture in which we live. It is hard because we see so much we see so much of a mess going on around us. You heard about the Nashville shooting here recently and people at a Christian school and that they were six people murdered in cold blood. It's hard not to become a little bit jaded. In fact, our Lynx Fellowship, I think I mentioned to you, but our Lynx Fellowship, it was one of our co-leaders of a women's group in Dallas that was part of their family. It was the substitute teacher that was killed and they, are now, they were on their way. To, to bury these people. It, it's hard not to get jaded. It is so difficult not to bow to the spirit of judgmentalism, but it's not until you understand a parable like this at its core, you will always struggle in that way. And I'm telling you, that's not an asset to you. That, that puts you in prison. A spirit of judgmentalism, we can, we can smell it a million miles away, always... T- Always holding court, telling other people what they did wrong, and making, making assessments and judge. The Bible's so clear, it could not be more clear in Jesus' teaching. Don't judge others, lest you be judged. Now, I talk to our staff all the time, both at Church of the Red Door and Links and other places. I talk all the time, look, there are necessary assessments we make about people, but that is very different from judgmentalism. I'm not indicting anybody. I have to make assessments about who should be in leadership or is that person, you know, equipped. Or, oh, those assessments go on all the time. We have to assess other people. We have to be wise. Uh, I'm going to assess certain people. I'm not just going to let anybody come in and, you know, take care of our future children that will come to church at the Red Door. I'm not going to anybody come in to do that. Right now, there's a couple of women. One of them, you know, is my wife, and I, 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 I know that whatever's going back there with the kids, is going, I have to make those assessments. That's not judgmentalism. That's what we're not, it's not what we're talking about. It's a spirit of contempt. It's something that comes on and saying they're lesser than, and then, and then we indict them for, well, for being blind. You have to understand we indict people all the time for being blind. I, what do you expect from somebody who can't see? What do you expect from somebody who can't hear? It's like Helen Keller walking through in a spiritual sense. I mean, you just... I mean, I remember being so fascinated as a child when we'd read those stories about Helen Keller and said, how do you even go through life and you can't see? You've never been able to see. You can't hear anything. You have no ability. And then we'd ask the question, would you rather be blind or would you rather be deaf? And I always used to say, well, I'd always rather be deaf, but then never be able to sit around and have a conversation, never be able to listen to the radio, music, all those things. It's a, it's a tough one. I don't know. Blind or deaf. But both? Blind and deaf? And then we judge those people and have contempt for those people. What kind of, that is not the spirit of Jesus. It's not the spirit of Jesus. And I hate when it rises up in my soul. I hate it. I want to be free of that. And if I don't have this so deeply embedded in my spiritual DNA, this parable right here, if I don't have it so deeply embedded in me, I'll always suffer from judgmentalism. I'll tell you what else I'll do. I will not understand the whole entire story of a whole entire Bible. I just won't. I mean, this is such a key point in the biblical narrative, a turn of events that is so profound that this person, just by saying, God, he was the worst. God, I'm a sinner. Have mercy on me. And this man's justified? What does that even mean to be justified? 
We talk often at Church of the Red Door. It's so key to your understanding of the gospel. Jesus accomplished any number of big theological words, one of them being justification. Also propitiation. He satisfied, he pacified, if you will, the very anger of God, the wrath of God. And you say, I don't know about wrath of God. Here we go again. I don't want to be around some religion that has a mean, vengeful, wrathful God. You don't. You don't, you don't want a God that is so deeply angry at, well, let's find something in our culture that we can look and say, well, that's suspect. Pedophilia, you don't think, you, you want to serve a God that's like, ah, you know, boys will be boys. Do you really want that? Jesus satisfied the need for propitiation, the pacification of the very anger of God. Redemption, to buy us back, that's kind of a marketplace term. Justification is a legal term. It is a, it, it's, imagine the courtroom of the cosmos. There are deeply embedded laws within the cosmos, both in the physical realm, we have that from, you know, Sir Isaac Newton, classical model of uh, mechanics, uh, classical physics, whatever, Newtonian physics, we, he, Back in the, you know, late 1600s, uh, he, he's sitting under, well, let me just, let me just kind of, we'll do a little play here. Tim Church, come up here. Who wouldn't want a last name named Church? So I'm going to have Tim come up here, and uh, we're, you're going to have to adjust the cameras over here a little bit so we can see here. So I've asked Tim to be an apple tree. He didn't know he was going to be that this morning. He's going he's gonna to have an apple, and he's gonna, he's, his branch is going to be way up here. It's going to be way up here. Okay, so we know that in the late summer of 1666, Sir Isaac Newton is just sitting there pondering the universe and wondering how all these things work, and he saw something occur and uh, let it go. He just saw an apple drop from a tree, and he's wondering, why didn't it go sideways? Why didn't it go up? What is it? Now, well, of course, we knew. We know now. We call it what? Gravity, but it hadn't really been described before. It's this, and he came up with these deep calculations in Principia, his great mathematical text that still holds weight and sway all these many hundreds of years later. Here's Sir Isaac Newton describing gravity. If you have these two celestial masses, right, and uh, based on their mass, the product of that mass will determine how much force draws them together. And then inversely, uh, if you take the square of, of this, and what you get is how f- the, the distance they are away, then you'll have, again, a measurement of how much power will be drawing or, or allowing them to move away. It's this pretty, pretty fascinating insight into gravity, and we still don't really understand what it is. And you say, so, there's, so there are physical laws that govern the universe. Would that not be the case about moral laws? Are there moral laws that truly, honestly govern the universe? And yet we say, I'll choose to go my own way. I know a better way. This is, in our culture, moves often away, just as Israel did. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. Now, I'm going to take this little, this little uh, prop. You're not the prop because you're my friend, Tim. But I'll take this little thing. I'm going to ask you to hold that apple up there again. And I'm going to say, okay, this is basically, I was thinking about this this morning, this is basically what happens, this is what happened, and we indict God. Why, you know, why do we indict God? Why is all the evil in the world, I'm going to see how strong you are, how long you can keep that arm up. Uh, we indict God all the time, why? Because how does he allow evil 
to happen in the world. I mean, how, I mean, if there's a good God, all the garbage that goes on, I can't take this anymore. And I will tell you what happened in the garden, and it wasn't an apple, we don't know. But whatever that apple was, when Eve took that first bite, the apple was severed from the tree, and it fell. Okay, thank you, and we're going to do that one more time. And that apple fell from the tree. But, are you ready? Justification is, apple fall? Oh, one more time. Hey, cut that, edit it. Bad hand eye. There we go, there we go. (laughs) Now throw. I can still throw. Here you go, Bob Warren. You're the one who made that comment. There you go. Okay. (laughs) I give you that. It's a little bruised. Thank you, Tim. Everybody, thank you, Tim Church. What happened is, every force in the universe, every moral force, every moral law in the cosmos, no different than gravity, every single... Everything was severed when we chose to go our own way, and there was a path for humanity that was only going to crash and burn. It would only take justification, that's the fancy word, a legal no guilty, and that was going to require, well, an arm to come out, out of nowhere, and grab that arm and pull it back in. Now, how does that happen? Can an apple stop itself once it's set in motion? Do you have the physical ability? Does an apple have the physical ability? You know, I know the cartoons are like they'll, they'll uh, put this little anthropomorphize an apple and they'll put little arms and he'll be going, ah, and then the apples start going back up, right? But that doesn't happen with real things. An apple's already set in motion and it has an inevitable track to, well, to smashing on the ground. That's the only place. It, it ha- what can the apple do? Nothing. It's already set in motion. There's nothing the apple can do for itself. Zero. It can do nothing. It's going to require an arm to come out of nowhere and grab it out of midair and say, you're not going, and you're not going to destruction. I declare you legally not guilty. Now I want you to go forward in your Bible, to, or backwards in this case, Isaiah 59, verse 16. If you don't get this, then you will not, because here's the arm that comes out of nowhere and grabs the apple, changes the momentum, and pulls it back against every moral law in the universe, saves us from destruction. Here's what Isaiah saw, 700 700 years. I want you just to imagine 700 years before the time of Jesus. Isaiah looking how opaque his view was through, I don't know, but here's what he says. God speaking through him, verse 16, we'll start in verse 15. Yes, truth is lacking. It's a moral slide. It's a moral decline. Why is there no truth? Why can't politicians tell the truth? Why can't I tell the truth? Jack Nicholson said, because you can't handle the truth. Truth is lacking. He who turns aside from evil makes himself a prey. The one who turns away from evil becomes the victim. Now the Lord saw this inevitable fall of the apple and the end of the destruction. And it was displeasing in his sight that there was no justice. You think God's happy with injustice in the earth? What would be the alternative? Blow up the earth and start over. Peter, in his letter, wrote that don't count God's slowness, his 
His lack of coming back immediately and setting all things right is something to be, well, a reason that you can walk away from God. Recognize that that's his own grace and mercy. He could have, well, you know, the old sketch just started all over again. But he chose not to. So what did he do? He saw that there was no man to stop that apple from crashing on the bottom in a moral sense and was astonished that there was nobody to intercede. Then his own arm, where's that arm coming from? Stopping the inevitable slide and the crashing of that apple on the ground. His own arm brought salvation to him and his righteousness upheld him. He looked down, there's nothing. There is no Pharisee, there's no religious person, there's no religion on earth. There's not the the, the most well-intentioned person on the earth that can stop the inevitable which started with Eve in the garden, we inherit that same fallenness. If that doesn't, if you can't identify with that in your own experience, then you'll never understand the gospel. You will always live in the shadows of wondering, a little bit self-guilt, a little bit. You will never understand the gospel unless you understand this parable. Are you the one that looks down with contempt? Are you, the, are you the one that just beats his breast? Have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. Cranmer, not Kramer from Seinfeld, but Cranmer. Justification by faith. Justification, legally acquitted by faith, advances the true glory of Christ and beats down the vainglory of man. Let me say that again. True justification by faith. Now, does the apple have any response to the arm? The arm is extended, ready to catch the apple. Does the, arm, does the apple have any response? Only faith. I think that arm can catch me, unlike the pastor. I think that arm can catch me. I really do. And so we give it all. We say, by faith, I'm, I, I, see my, I see my inevitable demise. The floor's coming up awfully fast. The end of my life's coming, and I don't know whether I'm saved. I don't know whether there's a God. I don't know, I don't know any of this. I, I don't know if I'm going to crash and burn. I'm a little bit terrified. I, I, I don't know what the future holds. I have no idea. And, then, and you look over as an apple, and there's an arm, and the arm's like, I'll catch you. All you have to do is have faith. And I'll immediately justify you, I justify you, I'll reconcile you, I'll redeem you, I'll even bring you, I'll, it's called reconciliation, I'll bring you into a family, I'll bring you into the very family of God, and you'll never crash and burn. Not only will you not do that, you'll be there for me, you'll be there for me to set, see all things set right one day, and then we will have a very different heavens and earth. And the moral code won't have been broken at that point, and it never will again. It's the very story of the Bible. If you don't understand this parable, you will never understand the whole story of the entire Bible. It will not make sense. You can read it, but you'll read it through the optics of someone who doesn't recognize that they are, in fact, the publican. That's the reason Jesus is telling this story. It's difficult, though, isn't it? That's why in that's why it says, why it says they, in Psalm 118, as we were introducing worship this morning, they're going to stumble over the, the very cornerstone because it's too easy. If you're so entrenched in your religion to believe that 
you have it all, that you understand it all, and that you've done this by yourself, that somehow you've grown wings and you're the apple falling and you just... And you say, well, I'll never crash because no God could ever send me to hell or, you know, hey, look, I've got these wings. I've got wings. (laughs) Apples don't grow wings and neither will you. It's going to take an arm. And that arm Isaiah saw 700 years before the time of Jesus. So what's the true conversion point? Again, it's God. Be merciful on me, a sinner. And when you have faith in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus and you say, I, I just trust all you, all you, not, not 90% you and 10% me, not, no, all, 100% of my salvation is based on my belief in your vicarious death, burial, and resurrection to propitiate, to redeem, to reconcile, and to justify, and eventually to sanctify me? Now, here's the catch. Sanctification is the last thing. And if you're an apple, or, or let's just take a person now. So a person's walking this way, and they've got all the garbage in their heart, and they've got pride and avarice and everything, anything else you can say. They've got sexual sin, addiction, whatever. And they're walking, and all of a sudden, that arm comes out and grabs them and then turns them around and pulls them back. All the other things happen immediately. They're propitiated, God's pacified, and no more wrath resides on that person. They're reconciled, they're made part of a family, they're justified legally. There's nothing there anymore except for one thing, sanctification. Because right now, all they've done is really just turn around. Now, they're going to have a new heart and they're going to have a new spirit. All the prophets saw it. And that's good. That's going to give them both the power and the intention to change. But right now, they just turned around. Yeah, they're still going to have a lot of the issues they had while they were walking this way. And it's going to take a while, and it's, it's weighty, and, and to walk the other way. And repentance just means to turn around. It takes a long time to actually see, well, to see that purity begin to, to be worked into you. But immediately, you'll begin to have the intention to change. It'll just take a while. And that's called the wilderness experience, and that's what happens in the wilderness. You begin to fall in love with other things. So a bunch of those things happen in that moment the arm comes out, and you say, I believe that arm can hold me, and by faith, and it grabs you. But it takes a while to actually change and not to be. This is not, an art, this is not a parable to say, hey, just publican, you know, just go back, keep collecting taxes and being a, you know, being a sinner. That's not the point of this at all. The point is you can't do anything about it, not one, not one tiny thing. The disciples were so profoundly astute <laughs> that this next scene is comical. I have to tell you, this next scene is comical. They ju- he just told them a parable. They were supposed to understand this, not have contempt, not to, be, not to be chasing their own righteousness, whatever. And look what happens in verse 15, Luke 18, verse 15. All these children come around. These children are coming up, and listen to what they said. And they were bringing even their babies to him, Jesus, so that he would touch them. But when the disciples saw this, they began rebuking them. You nasty parents for bringing your, bringing your babies so Jesus could touch them. Can you imagine this? I mean, he just told them the parable. And there's, they, they, but they're like, they still don't understand. Jesus called for them, saying, permit the children, well, permit them to come to me, and don't hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these, these kids right here. Do you think there's a care? Do you, do you think that guy in the middle there 
Is Warren, whether his 401k is going to go up or down in, in 30, 40 years? Do you, you think he's concerned about that? you think he's concerned about anything really other than I just want to make sure I can get that, kick that ball the next, and they're running through the fields. And I mean, kids are like that. My grandson Emerson's like that. I mean, he just, it's just, he can be just in a terrible place, just crying and just terrible and I can walk in and just tickle his feet, and he's like, ah, and he start laughing immediately. I mean, it's just, just, just this unbelievable willingness to, because the whole world is new to him. He, he doesn't understand this world, and, and everything is new. And, and, and if you get we, get, we become so hardened, and we've seen hypocrites in the church and this and the church and organized religion, and we can go down this long list, we get so hardened. Jesus is like, you'll just never understand the gospel unless you become, well, like one of these kids. There's a pink elephant in the room. I believe anything. You say, are you, are you saying that was Jesus saying that we should be gullible? Not at all. But we have to enter like a child. There's a purity. Children are still fallen, but there's a purity in children of just a, a willingness to believe what any kind of authority figure tells them. And, and we have to do that with Jesus. Jesus, I trust you. I don't understand all of this, but I trust you because now, well, I'm part of your family. I just trust you. Do you trust Jesus? I'll tell you right now whether you trust Jesus or not. How much time did you spend over this last year actually for yourself, individually, not just going to a message or something, actually reading the words of Jesus? Now you say, well, that's pretty harsh. That's pretty indicting. I don't I just think it's, a, Paul said, check yourself to see if you're in the faith. Do you really pay attention to what Jesus said? Do you actually spend time pondering it? Do you, do you ask him in prayer? What do you mean by this, Lord? Help me understand this. I mean, obviously you're here, so, but this could, be, this could become part of a Pharisee thing too. I go to church, I tithe, I go to church every single Sunday, you know. I even stand up on the third song sometimes. I mean, you know, I mean, we, we have all of our little, our little categories in which the way we stand before Jesus is to have entered like a child recognizing that there is no other entrance other than be merciful for, to me, God. I'm a sinner. And once you have that, and, and we talk about this often in here, but you, you do realize this is why the prostitutes and the tax collectors, Jesus said, were entering into the kingdom before all the Pharisees and before many of the religious elite and the Sadducees and those in high position. Because this made sense to them. This resonated with their experience. Nobody had to really tell them they knew they were a deep valley. They knew that it was the right thing to stand at a distance when they went to the temple because they knew that they were vastly different from God. Many don't. We had, as I showed you, had them stand up last week, much of the staff in this week. I'll never forget my friend Louis Greer, who's in Arizona and helps with the Tales from the Tour. Um, he said something so profound this week that I was just... It's kind of taken back by it. He had a friend, and, and the friend said, well, I'm very spiritual. You have that, right? Someone, that's someone who feels like they can go just directly into the temple and sit down and have a cup of coffee with God, irrespective of how they come, what they believe or how that works. And he said, well, I'm very spiritual, and it's a profound. I've never thought of it, but I will use this from now on. I'm a very spiritual person. And Lewis' response was, oh, what spirit is that? What spirit? You do know there are all kinds of spirits. Satan comes as an angel of light. That's a spiritual force. There are spiritual 
if Paul talks about in his letter to the Ephesians, there are spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. There are certainly religious spirits all over the place that deny the death, burial, and resurrection of the arm, which is the only salvation for all of humanity to catch the apple before it smashes to the ground. What spirit are you? But that's just another way of saying, God and I are good. I'm spiritual. What spirit would that be? Think about that. Maybe if you're watching on television, maybe just think about that. What spirit is that? What spirit is that? So in conclusion here, I, I, what is the primary reason that we fall for this age-old temptation of a lack of humility and a sense of being better than other people? What is it? I think it starts in comparison. We have a tendency to always compare ourselves with other people. It's the wrong comparison to make. The only time you're ever going to become like the publican in his response at the temple and be justified is to compare yourself with the creator of your soul. In that comparison, you will always fall short of the glory of God, always. But we have a tendency to compare ourselves to other religions, to other races, to other political parties, to other inner city, suburb. I mean, we, we, we find a million different reasons to compare and feel better than other people. Paul was very clear in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. We are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are without understanding. If you are comparing yourself to somebody else, you will always find somebody worse less serious about the moral code, whatever that construct looks like in your postmodern world, you'll always find somebody. The story of the Bible is very clear. Romans chapter 3, verse 20, listen to what Paul said. Romans 3, verse 20. Romans 3, verse 20, that new one that I gave you this morning. See, I, I, sometimes I throw this at him like right before, so... Okay, you ready? Because by the works of the law, what does that mean? The moral code given to us through the law, by the works of the law, how, how, much, how, much, how many people, how many? No flesh. Unless you're, okay, just to all the skeletons here this morning, I want to speak to you later, but everybody with flesh, you're not justified. You will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes not righteousness, but the knowledge of sin. Next verse, or that's it. Okay, so here we go. Uh, so how, how, can you be justified, deemed, not guilty? Can you be through being good or, or doing, well, paying your tithes and doing, going to church and doing all this stuff? Can you be deemed not guilty? Well, the Bible could not be more clear. No, it was, the law was never intended to make you righteous, and nobody is righteous. If we go on down to verse 23, no, no one is righteous, not even one. Well, I'm offended by that. Well, I am too. See, when we compare ourselves, we become the relatively righteous. Remember that term. Are you part of the relatively righteous, meaning relative to somebody? You're a pretty righteous guy or a pretty righteous gal. They're relatively righteous. 
See, but our intuitive antidote to this is always wrong. Always has been wrong, always will be wrong. And it's called religion. Our intuitive antidote to this is to just get better. Give it the old college try. Really work hard. Be that apple that's going, ah, don't fall, don't hit the ground, don't hit the Oh, I think I'm doing it. I think I'm doing it. I'm thinking I'm doing it. Don't buy that. This is what this parable teaches. If you can start here and be the publican, your whole life will change. I don't know how to be more clear than that. This is the foundation of the narrative of the entire Bible. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't needed to, well, he wouldn't have needed to walk down that little road on the back of that, come, come down on that road uh, into, down through the Kidron Valley on the back of that donkey. He wouldn't have needed to do that, and he certainly wouldn't have needed to bleed out seven different times and suffer agony like you cannot imagine. He wouldn't have needed to do any of that. Well, just go try harder or be a good person. You've got to understand that by the very fact that he came and died, he was claiming to be the cornerstone that they will stumble over, but he was also claiming to be the arm, the only way, the only truth, and the only life, the only way to the Father. No other, no other path. That's hard for me to take, Jeff. It is hard. The gospel's offensive. Paul said it is. But it is the very, it's the very righteousness of God. The very righteousness of God. We're going to conduct communion now. It's a very precious moment for us. We do it once a month, first, first Sunday of each month. And uh, just, just think deeply about this this week, because Good Friday's coming. But even more importantly, a few days later, we got some room. We got something to celebrate. Good Friday is tough. It's strange that it's called good because he's going to shed his blood and his, well, the flesh off his back. It's going to be ripped off. Ripped off his very frame. Thorns will go onto his head. And why did he need to do that? Well, he was the arm. It's the only, it's the only way. Paul? That's a great, you know, Jeff, what I was thinking. I don't know if anybody ever thought this, but you know, he, he, he didn't have to go down. He could have turned around as could he was be. heading down into that city. Right. Why do you think he did it, Paul? Uh, it's hard to believe, but he did it for me. He did it for you. For God yeah. so, so loved, loved the, wor- the world. Even us. Yeah, even us. PB and J, Paul Burr and Jeff. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Good word. Hey, beautiful suit there. Hey, thank you. Love that suit. I like the gray. I don't yeah. like the color of the okay. shirt, but it's a beautiful suit. <laughs> it's rough comparing yeah judgmentalism and <laughs> but you know i mean it, it, it's really so true if you, if you ever just stop for a moment when he was coming down heading into jerusalem he knew what was coming he could have turned around he didn't turn around I mean, just like we were just saying with Jeff, we meant so much to him. You and your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids and those kids yet to come. He did it for, for all of us because we're so, so broken. You, I, mean, I can't imagine. He's coming down because, you know, every holiday at Passover, there was always an eye that was looking up on the east hills coming in because they were always waiting for their Savior to come down through the east side of the city, out of the hills, and they would always be looking for it. 
So all of a sudden that day, he's coming down, which we're celebrating today, Palm Sunday, and they're yelling and screaming, our Savior's here, and da, da, da. But they were hoping that someone would overthrow Rome, give them a better way to live life. And the reality was is they had no clue of what he was going to offer them, to offer them the eternal life that they so desperately were missing at this point. They were more worried about the rule and the reign that they were going to have here on this planet and not realizing, again, like I think all of you know, we're just passing through. And it's because of Jesus' sacrifice. If you got your communion elements, you go ahead and get them out. Uh, does anybody not have one? We can get you one. Everybody okay? There's one right back here, right here. Just raise your hand again. I get you. Okay. Uh, I know I share this a lot when I get the opportunity to break bread literally with you. But I do always wonder what it was like, even though they saw all these miracles. They had just seen Lazarus raised from the dead when, you know, just a few days before Jesus was heading in for the Passover celebration. And, you know, as he's sitting at that table, as they're laying down and you know, laying back and eating, he just takes his bread and, and he breaks it. And I got to set this down. And he makes the time. <laughs> Hello? <laughs> this is what he said. <laughs> But it's powerful. This represents my body. And it's going to be broken for you and for you, for you and you and you and you and you and me. Do this always in remembrance of me. So when he finished, oh, yeah. So when he had finished, uh, when he had finished with, with the bread, he grabbed it was called the cup of redemption. He usually had four glasses of wine that were sitting there, and he grabs the cup of redemption, and he tells him, this here represents my blood. It's going to be the blood of a brand new, everlasting covenant that's going, going to be between you and my father. It is for the forgiveness of your sins. Never again do you have to do any type of animal sacrifices. No longer do you need to go to a priest, okay, to be able to get your sins forgiven or to have a conversation with me. From now on, you can get in your car and drive down Interstate 10 at 70 miles an hour, no matter what state you're in of your heart, but you can talk to me. And I can hear you because of this sacrifice that has cleansed you, that has made you righteous in my eyes. Do this always in remembrance of me. Father, I, we are so grateful, so grateful that you didn't turn around that day. We're so grateful that you loved us so much that you went and bare the humiliation, the torture, and just hanging on that cross and shedding of your blood for each one of us. Thank you for everything that you have done for us until that day that we see you face to face. Be with our children, be with our grandchildren, be with our friends, our spouses. Father, just be with them all. Draw them close to you, those that are still far away. And with gratitude, all of God's people said,
Let's just listen to this last song here together. Oh, my words fall short. I got nothing new. How could I express all my gratitude? I could sing these songs as I often do, but every song. Song, Cause you've got a lion inside 